0: In the name of the holy and undivided Trinity, one God. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Every pulpit presents a unique challenge to the preacher. Sometimes the pulpit is enormous, and five-foot, five-inch preachers like me can barely see over it. Sometimes they're equipped with microphones that amplify every breath you take. St. Martin's has its own special thing. When you stand here, the eyes of Jesus bore into you from the choir loft. (laughs) Not daunting at all. Sean painted that bigger than life headshot of Jesus with eyes that have that uncanny ability to follow you wherever you move in the sanctuary. His fingerprints are very much alive in this room. Thank you, Jan and family for inviting me to be here today. It's an honor to be part of the celebration of Sean's life. When Jen called to talk about today, she mentioned that I had known Sean for many years, and indeed, that is true. Before I knew his name, I remember people talking about, quote, the hot guy in biker shorts. (laughs) At St. Martin's Saturday night Eucharist, sometimes Sean would bicycle into the Eucharist, and then he would serve as a lector or a chalice bearer. The muscle tone he built as a long-distance cyclist was remarkable. Just a few days before he passed, Jan and I sat across from him, holding his hands. His grip never lost its strength. Even Parkinson's could not steal that away. A year ago, I began visiting Sean and Jan regularly. We always chatted for a while, reminiscing about old stories from the past and catching up on what the kids and the grandkids were doing. And then we would turn our attention toward the Eucharist and we would begin by reading the Gospel for the upcoming Sunday. We'd talk about the text, what was the original intended audience, who was the author, and then we'd talk about the story being told by the author and how did that story intersect with today. In short, we were writing a sermon together and at the end I always asked what would be the title of your sermon if you were preaching next Sunday. So as I began reading the gospel text for today, of course all of those memories came to bear. And I began wondering what would Sean hear in this gospel text? How would he connect it to this moment? And what is the message or the sermon title he would choose for us? Martha is a close, trusted friend of Jesus. They're not acquaintances, and they're not kin. They are chosen family. Jesus is comfortable being in her home, and she is comfortable saying to him, if only you had come more quickly. It's not really an admonition. Rather, I think she's acknowledging that Jesus could have prevented Lazarus' death, but he did not. When I put myself in Martha's shoes, I want to read some righteous indignation into her voice. How could you dilly-dally when Lazarus' life was on the line? It's that human, this isn't fair response. Yet what is written does not seem to have that tone of voice. Martha says, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. It's as if she's saying, I don't understand why this happened. But I know there is nothing you cannot overcome. Martha has walked with Jesus, eaten meals with him. She watched him perform miracles. She saw the healings and the feedings and all the other signs of Jesus' divinity. She is not, even for a moment, questioning the authenticity of Jesus. And she tells us that she knows Lazarus will rise again. Martha is a prophet and a wise woman who has knitted together the impossible things she witnessed, and now she is testifying to her faith in Christ in the darkest hour of her life. After the Parkinson's diagnosis, Sean returned to an old passion, art. And a few years into that, I commissioned him to create a painting for my husband, a Formula One race car. Sean didn't know much about Formula One racing, but he began researching it, and he even watched a Formula One race. And then he painted the image of a racing car in motion, coming toward the observer. He used techniques of Impressionism, and the result was unlike anything he had painted. He wanted to exhibit the art, and I volunteered to host. On a Saturday morning, the week before his exhibit, he came to my home and spent a few hours imagining what pieces he would hang and where he would put them. Then after a while, he came to the kitchen where I was pulling cookies out of the oven and shoveling them onto cooling racks. He grabbed a cookie and he said, do you do this often? I said, no, this is my first art exhibit. And he said, not the art exhibit, the cookies. Do you bake often? It turned out that Sean loved cookies (laughs) and he loved conversation. Over the next few years, cookies and conversation and art were staples in our diet. I was still serving on the Arts Council Board at that time and began seeing new murals appear on the walls of their building, work that Sean had completed. It had never occurred to me that he could print and paint on a canvas of that size and the CPA firm had just built a new office building with a 15-foot kitchen wall that was blank. Sean came to have a look, and I asked him if he could paint a mural that would transport our staff from long tax season hours to a restful place. He spent more than a month working on that wall. The mural put the observer on the front porch of a cabin in the mountains. There were snowy, evergreen trees and mountain ridges, cabins with smoking fireplaces dotted the landscape. Some days, an artist friend of his would come and sit with him, and they would stare at the mural and talk about it. How did it speak to the observer? Many times, I'd pass through that kitchen for a cup of coffee, and Sean would point to something on the wall he'd just painted and ask, what color is that? I had no idea he was colorblind with certain colors. One day, he painted the CPA firm's coffee cup onto the front porch rail with steam rising off the coffee. It felt as if you could just reach out and grab that mug. While he was painting, another staff member was in and out of that kitchen on a regular basis. Her name was Jan Hardy. One day, her name would become Jan Reese. Apparently, there was more than coffee brewing in the kitchen. (laughs) John tells us a beautiful story about chosen family. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary are siblings. They open their home and their lives to Jesus. Their relationship deepens in their home, just days before the crucifixion, Jesus will be anointed, preparing him for death. It's as if they know, and have always known, that he will die prematurely. They accept and welcome the reality of Jesus' life into their own. As I watched Jan and Sean grow in relationship, I marveled at the path they were choosing. Sean had Parkinson's. They both had children whom they loved very dearly, and all of this family was coming together into one strong and loving embrace. Careers were hatched, grandchildren were added to the mix, and the smiles on Jan and Sean's faces never dimmed when they were talking about family. They accepted the reality of Parkinson's, the certain knowledge that today would come, and they chose to savor every moment along the way visits with Sean were never boring. There was always laughter. Even when he no longer had a voice more than a whisper, there was always laughter. By May of this year, Sean had moved to a special care facility where his needs could be met around the clock. It was a hard transition for him and for everyone who loved him, but there was no denying the progression of Parkinson's. One day, Jan, Sean, and I gathered in that space, and we blessed the space where he lived. And then we turned our attention toward the Eucharist and picked up the Sunday Gospel. It also was from John. It was the story of the Good Shepherd, whose sheep hear his voice, and the promise of the Good Shepherd that he will not lose even one of his sheep. Jan read the Gospel that day, and when she finished, Sean began to weep, and of course, so did we. It was a powerful and holy moment. All three of us and all of us have heard that story many, many times. How many Good Shepherd stained glass windows have all of us seen? When we are young and strong and our lives are out in front of us, the image of the Good Shepherd seems just a bit trite. We're uber confident We've got life by the horns, bring it. But when you are dependent on someone else for everything, the image of a shepherd who knows his sheep, who loves his sheep, who will not lose even one of his sheep, that image is everything. On that day, my friend heard the good shepherd's voice loud and clear. And the message of love, particular love for him was overwhelming. His tears were a testament to his faith in the darkest hour of his life. What message would Sean want us to know today? I think he would want us to know that we are loved eternally by our creator and by him, dad, grandfather, husband, and friend. I think he would want us to know that he never lost hope, capital H. That he was surrounded and uplifted by love, prayer, and community here at St. Martin in the Fields. That his family was, is, and always will be the only real treasure trove in his life. And that the great shepherd has wrapped him in a bear hug for eternity. The title of Sean's sermon, I think, might be borrowed from a Beatles song. All you really need is love. Amen.